You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show Wednesday edition tonight, featuring my co-host Matt Williamson, live fantasy show right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find it on YouTube, the Locked On NFL YouTube channel. Go subscribe there so you don't miss it. 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Tonight, Wednesday, August 18th, live fantasy show. All of your questions. You can hit Matt Williamson with all of your dynasty, your redraft questions. You've got a funky league with funky rules. That's what Matt Williamson's all about. He loves the funk. (laughs) Find that on the Locked On NFL YouTube page tonight. It should be a ton of fun. I'll be checking it out, and I'll be putting in my own questions, Matt, so I can't wait for that. Good, good. At BD Peacock, at Williamson NFL on Twitter is where you can find us. That's where the questions came in for today's Twitter Wednesday show. We pushed it back one day because we had to cover everything we saw from the weekend in the week one preseason football games. A little bit of news first around the league. And it's funny because maybe, I don't know if if we felt it in the air, but we talked a little bit about this Jamal Adams situation and actually got finalized just after we finished recording yesterday and a done deal. And, And I think it's a pretty good deal for both sides with how much leverage Jamal Adams' side had after trading two first-round picks to get him and not having a deal worked out in place. You knew they were going to have to re-sign him. So it ends up being a four-year, $70 million extension, $38 million guaranteed. Strong safety Jamal Adams now signed long-term with the Seattle Seahawks. That goes about $17.5 million per year. So um, I was talking about how his agent should probably be talking about the the new linebacker contracts that were signed this offseason with Darius Leonard and Fred Warner in the $19 million range. And they came in under that, but still the highest paid safety in the NFL at 17.5. Safety's lagging behind linebackers just a little bit. Yeah, probably not for long, though. Safeties are asked a lot in today's NFL. And really, these athletic middle-of-the-field do-it-all defenders that never leave the, the field are very, very important in today's defenses, you know, positionless football and all that good stuff. Adams... Adams is a great player, uh, and he's integral to the what the what Seattle does. People look at it and say, "Oh, he's their Cam Chancellor," and yeah, he does do some of that. But they're not as strict with the old school Seahawks cover three as they used to be. So he does a lot of different things for them. As I mentioned, is a middle of the field playmaker, um, brings a lot of passion, makes a lot of plays. But it, and he's probably their best pure pass rusher, which is. Uh, says good things about him, bad things about their pass rushers. Right. But he's not a great coverage player. You know, I mean, he, he get a man to man against these backs and tight ends or, you know, even in zone, he's fine, but he's not great. And he doesn't take the ball away that much, but he is very important to them. I wonder, and this goes for a lot of these defenders. I mean, even great players like Khalil Mack, is it worth giving up two firsts and a big chunk of your cap for these guys? Because like you said to open the show, you really had them over a barrel. I mean, they had to sign them. $17.5 million per year. It's, it's a large chunk of money to be paying a safety, the most any team is paying a safety per year. So I could buy that argument that that's not ideally the way you want to structure your roster as far as which position groups you are allocating your money to. But is he enough of a difference maker is the question. 
I think in some ways he's underrated in coverage. He's not utilized as a true safety or a deep middle safety or anything like that, but he's an athletic guy and he's really smart and instinctive and all of those things. And, you know, he's better coming downhill. He's better near the line of scrimmage, which is where they use him. And yeah, it's a good point about him being a good pass rusher. I've heard him be called an edge safety before because that's kind of what he is. Edge Ah, rusher slash safety slash linebacker. He can do a lot in this world of positionless football that we're going to and essentially in a lot of downs when you're not in base as much anymore and you're in those nick situations he essentially is a strong side linebacker in a lot of cases with the way he's used but if if Jamal Adams was just he came out of school and was just used straight as a you know too high safety strong safety very standard half the field in coverage come down do strong safety stuff he would be really good and he's fine in coverage he's not amazing in coverage he's not a Mm -hmm. lockdown cover guy he's not one of these like you know Buda Baker types or one of these really um, athletic you're going to line him up against a a wide receiver all day long in the slot or something like that but he's really good in coverage and he's athletic so I think he's underrated in that just because he's so good at the other things and he doesn't get utilized as much in coverage he you know he could be a free safety and it wouldn't be that big of a problem with how smart he is and uh, and how good of a football player he is. I mean, he's just a really good football player, and that's really what I like about him, and I like that he got paid and he got recognized for how good he is, and I think a lot of the things that that he provides value with is harder to see if you're just looking at you know PFF grades or whatever because he's so smart and he's a real leader. He's a culture-changing type of player for a defense. He's moving before the ball is even snapped. Like he, He's really good at knowing what's going on in front of him in a way that really special players are, and that's what I've always been impressed with most about Jamal Adams. Yeah, that, that's all very well said. I mean, he is a real the, – the short of it is he's a really good football player. He's an mm-hmm. impact football player. And they use him well, and it's you know he's a key part to what that team does, and they've had a lot of success up there. Um, so I, I got no qualms with it. I mean, he does set the market, but not a lot of shock. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking T.J. Watt is looming here in Pittsburgh, but I don't know if there's any other immediate contracts that we know we're going to get done that you know are on the horizon still like what's going to get done any minute yeah good job by agents and teams to get most of these looming deals done so there's not a bunch of ugly holdouts and things going into training camp so yeah good on everybody involved here to figure out something with jamal adams the highest paid safety in the nfl yeah and i get it a couple of quick notes here with uh, some other transactions that happened after we recorded yesterday a couple of minor trades here that's interesting as there was some cuts looming with the first cut down teams are down from 90 to 85 man rosters now next Tuesday it'll be down to 80 man rosters and then the following Tuesday after the third preseason games everyone's got to get down to 53 so a little bit of movement a trade of Former day two disappointing cornerbacks which was an interesting one the Giants traded cornerback Isaac Yidham to the Packers for cornerback Josh Johnson the rare player for player, position for position trade. And I find these kind of humorous because my hunch of how these go are we kind of like this guy coming out of college and had a day two grade on him, something like that. His, his pro tape has not worked out. We'll trade our garbage for your garbage and hope we can revitalize their career based off something we saw in college that we liked and it hasn't gone that way. And reality is few of these deals ever come out with a winner. I mean, usually at this point, unfortunately, a lot of these guys' careers have gone down the path that they inevitably will go. But, I mean, if you're a defensive back coach, corner coach, defensive coordinator, front office guy, and you say, 
I'll take a chance on the guy we didn't get on draft day that we liked and see if we can find something in there still. Yeah, you just hope that a little change of scenery will help him out. Yeah. And, and generally that means both these guys were a little bit of a bust and uh, probably will not do much for their new teams either. You know, it reminds me a lot of uh, this happened a few years ago with do you remember A.J. Jenkins, the the, the massive first-round oh, yeah, bust right. by the 49ers? They traded him to the Chiefs for their first-round bust of a wide receiver in John Baldwin. And, of course, yep. neither player lasted long with their new team either. But, um, yeah, that's the other, only other one I can think of like that, where it was a player-for-player, player, very similar situation. These were day-two corners. The other one was uh, first-round wide receivers that were disappointing. And they most likely will stay disappointing in most yeah. cases. And this is Yadam's third team already. I mean, Denver's the one that drafted him. You know, the Giants. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot about him. that. Of course, yeah, he got drafted yeah. by Denver, and he's already moved on once. So there tells you something. Not a good sign. Yeah. And uh, the Panthers have traded. Real quick off- on those, I meant to say one other thing. Oh, I sure. mean, maybe you know, like we're a heavy zone team. We draft the zone corner, and then we hire a new defense coordinator. We become a heavy man team. Maybe some zone team would look at it and say, "Okay, they're just not using them right. We'll try it." If a guy's going to, you know, pull himself up from uh, the end of his career being way too short, maybe a, a scheme change would be in order. You know, Josh Jackson especially because he is somebody that should yeah. play a zone heavy scheme. He should, yes. right, right, yeah. So uh, I could see that potentially. Uh, Patrick Graham's the defensive coordinator with the Giants. Is that is he a zone guy? He's not a cover three guy, is he? No, I think they're going to play a lot of man. You know, okay. Bradbury and, you know, be a pretty blitz-heavy team. So, who knows? Maybe they like them coming out of school or the secondary coach went to high school with this guy's high school coach. You know, there's always these weird connections, right. too, you know. Or just let's just change something so we don't have yeah. to cut this other guy. <laughs> and and that, think- that's basically is, unfortunately, that's really what this next deal is, too. There's so many trades this time of year of, well, I'm going to cut them. Yeah, I might as well get something back and get our hands on one other player in these next couple of weeks before the season, see if we like him enough to stash him, or uh, we're going to cut this guy, but someone will give us a seventh-round pick, which is this Dolphins deal. So some seventh-round picks fly around the league this time of year for a depth guy or somebody that there's films on. Exactly so, what happened right here with the Panthers. Mm-hmm. They traded offensive tackle Greg Little to the Dolphins for a seventh-round pick. So they're like, well, we're going to cut him anyway, so let's take a free seventh-round pick. Why not? Yeah, and the Dolphins don't want to compete with 30 other teams for a guy that there's some tape on, and they'll give up the seven. Or it gives you an opportunity. Let's say that you were going to cut an offensive tackle, and it's between this guy or this guy. Well, let's save this other guy's job then, and we don't have to cut one of them. Maybe Greg Little would have stayed. Get a seventh-round pick for Little, and and we won't cut the other guy for right now. Yeah, it keeps you from making that decision. You know, like, I'm torn between one of these two, these two for that last roster spot. Only one's going to make it. So we'll trade whoever one you want. <laughs> Take what you the one you want, and then we'll cut the other guy or keep the other guy. Speaking of cuts, we got some good questions about uh, one quarterback that was cut and all-time draft bust to tie in and the rest of the Twitter Tuesday, now Twitter Wednesday questions coming up. Always fun to look at those bet online NFL futures as we move along in the offseason. See how things move. Looks like a lot of money on Tampa Bay. Folks out there like the odds of the Buccaneers potentially repeating and have another great season with Tom Brady, who lost to Aaron Rodgers in a golf match recently, a celebrity golf match, which you can also bet on at betonline.ag. Everything NFL futures, offensive, defensive rookies of the year, win totals, 
Major League Baseball all summer long. We've got any number of other things you can get in on the action at betonline.ag. Just remember to tell them that Locked On sent you the fastest, easiest way to bet on all your sports, and it's free to sign up. Just go to betonline.ag, use promo code Locked On and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. A very familiar name, Matt, was waived with these first round of cuts, and that was Josh Rosen, who's on his fourth football team and now going to be looking for his fifth football team. I think uh, I asked him about, you, about him yesterday. Yeah, and so JDS, a frequent tweeter into the program, says, where does Josh Rosen fit on the all-time draft busts? Sort of skyrocketing up the list. I mean, what's that, his fourth team? I mean, an unceremonial and you know, one-year stint with the team that drafted him, who was the worst team in the league and got the first pick overall. And then he goes from being a, the eighth pick or ninth pick in the draft to getting traded for a second rounder, then dumped for nothing. San Francisco didn't give up anything to acquire him, right? No, they just picked him up off the Buccaneers yeah. practice squad. And maybe some other team, maybe the Buccaneers, would grab him again. So he's been through four teams and the compensation every step of the way has drastically changed. You know, right? right. <laughs> the the big the telling one was the Dolphins because they they yeah. gave up something to get him, and he had just played only his first rookie season. You can't know exactly what you have there, and you can't blame the Cardinals for saying, "Well, we've got this better quarterback now in the draft, number one overall. We can't pass on this." So there was at least some beam of hope there with Josh Rosen. It's like, okay, well, it didn't quite work out for a rookie season, and they have to draft this other player. So let's move Josh Rosen on, get a second round pick. I think it was the second round pick the Dolphins gave up to get Josh Rosen. It was, and yeah. um, and, and they didn't have anybody to compete with Rosen. Like he could have won that job, and maybe Tua never happens. And Josh Rosen is the quarterback right now uh, for the Miami Dolphins. But obviously, they didn't like him either. And that was the telling one when it didn't work out in Miami either. Oh, and by the way, he just got beat out by Nate Sudfeld. It's not like the 49ers are only keeping two quarterbacks. He was the fourth on the current depth chart. Yeah, and I'll be honest, when the Miami made that trade, I'm like. Great. I'll, I'll buy the first round pick at 20 cents on the dollar. Right. And, and, you know, I like those kind of trades in general. They're very salary cap friendly. You know, there's only one year removed. There's a terrible situation. And I, I'll come clean. I liked Rosen coming out of school and had him pretty highly ranked in that class. But and I don't know this for a fact. I mean, I think his immobility really hurts him, you know, and the fact that nobody truly bought in on him really hurts him. And I've heard his attitude isn't the greatest. Like, he's not the most fun guy to be around day after day. Yeah, he. it's funny because he, he got some time in that first preseason game, and he took the podium and talked about how much he loved the 49ers and the coaching staff and the environment there. And it sounded like maybe uh, he was saying that he didn't like some of the environments he was in before in his professional career, and then the next day he got waived. So that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, he could land back with the 49ers practice squad, especially if they trade Jimmy Garoppolo and they need an extra quarterback in the room there. So it's Yeah, not, I mean, he could be somewhere. I mean, it, it, uh, go ahead. Some of these are, it's not you, it's me. Well, I think it's pretty sure but it's, it's him. But it's, <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> you know. uh, second part of JDS's question here, which Russ do we see this year, first half or last half of 2020? He is my number one little teaser for tonight, Ooh. fantasy quarterback target for where he's going. I think you're going to see first half Russ. I think the new offensive staff there will pay off dramatically. I think adding Everett and Eskridge, it doesn't sound like much, but at least they're capable third, fourth type receivers. 
I think is big for them. I think Russ is in for a monster year. In I'm trying to buy Seattle passing game all I can for fantasy. I'll buy that. I, I think we'll see closer to the first half Russ than the, yeah. the second half Russ. I don't know if we'll see the first half Russ for the entire year that he was on an MVP path. And in fact, it's a little uh, lofty. Yeah. I think halfway through the season, Matt, we were like, well, maybe we should just shut this down and give Russell Wilson the MVP right now. Like, oh, he was how, running away with it. That's right, how good right. his first half was. Uh, and I don't know if we'll see that for a full season. I think there's talk that they're going to try to get a little more of the quick game going and, and the hopes that that will still open up more things in the deep game and they'll still be able to do all the big play stuff they were doing earlier on in the season. But um, I believe in Russ. He's too good, and he's proven that. And uh, I, I'm with you. Yeah, that's a, he's, a, he's a good value right now in fantasy leagues. And in, in the fantasy landscape, we always bring it back to that because it's a good indicator of where a player's stock is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like in the fantasy world, it's Mahomes, and then there's about five guys, Allen, Lamar, Kyler, Dak, that crew, and Russ is going right after that group, but I think he should be in that tier two group, or, you know, I mean, I, I think he's a clear value for where he's going in fantasy draft. I think Lockett is, too. Everyone's down on Lockett, and I got no problems with Lockett. George has a good philosophical question when it comes to projecting how good rookie quarterbacks will become in their NFL careers. It seems historic organizational competence. A solid combination of words there, George. Big yeah, word that's for, nice. Uh, I'm going to steal Wednesday that. morning for me. Historic organizational competence is the best predictor of first-round quarterback success. With this in mind, is it bad to predict rank career success for quarterbacks by ranking organizations? So for the 2021 quarterbacks, Mack, Trey, Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Wilson, an unusual ranking but no less likely to be wrong. What do you think about George's thoughts there on organizational I like competence? I, I like it a lot. And more than any point of my analyst career, do I believe now, and I feel like I'm getting wiser, but who knows, uh, that if I were to bet on quarterbacks coming out of school, I may be more interested where they land than who they are. And in some ways, that's not fair. And But you know, this is a bad example because he was bad on his own too. But like Dwayne Haskins didn't have very much opportunity to succeed in Washington. Darnold didn't have much opportunity to succeed with the Jets. Of course, the players to blame. But if you're buying these stocks, I mean, who am I investing in? Who am I not? I think this question is very relevant. That when Baltimore drafted Lamar, I went, they're going to turn him into a star. You know, like if the Steelers take a quarterback in the first round next year, I bet he won't stink. I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Mac Jones isn't going to stink. You know, like I know that. You know, I mean, I've seen him play one preseason game and watched him at Bama, but Belichick and that organization will at least make him competent, even if he's a bad player. I believe those things wholeheartedly. So for ranking them, just on that, Jacksonville has to be last, right? Well, Chicago's never had a good quarterback in their life. Well, and, and the Jets haven't either. But here's <laughs> the thing: the is, Jets, right? I, I really, I like the Jets' new coaching staff, and I like the Jets' new GM and Joe Douglas. And he's been doing. He's at the, this is his second draft, you know. But things are looking like they're going in the right direction. Are, are we talking about ownership or? Is, you know, the filter of GM and coach enough to undo bad ownership and and decades of losing, right? So I can understand why Jacksonville and 
the Jets would be last on this list, but I'm not sure that I would buy that based on who's coaching that team. And to be honest with you, having a, a college coach jump into the NFL, we've seen that big name college coach and Urban Meyer's a smart guy and everything, but uh, we've seen that fail multiple times in the NFL. So I'm not, I, I, would, I would maybe put Jacksonville behind the New York Jets, even though the Jets have been a very bad historically and organizational competence has not been good for them historically I would put Jacksonville last just because of the college coach thing we've already seen it with Tebow it's like what are you doing there come on you know this is the NFL you can't screw around like that with your personnel decisions uh, so I still am, am looking at Urban Meyer college coach Jacksonville with a side eye and I still need them to show me something although I really believe in Trevor Lawrence uh, he's got a super high floor there you talked about Mac having a high floor and I agree and it's really hard for me to find one of these quarterbacks usually when quarterbacks get drafted you see one you think okay there's a high bust potential here even Josh Allen it was like okay oh huge ceiling but kind of a low floor like there this could be this could go very bad because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I feel a lot more confident in all five of these quarterbacks, which is pretty rare. But I think there is something to organizational competence here and, you know, saying like, okay, well, Trey Fields or Trey Lance getting to go pick three to the 49ers who are a good team already and have a good coach like Kyle Shanahan. It's hard to see him really falling on his face and failing there. And, and I would say it's probably at least 50-50 when it comes to organization versus the actual quarterback and the player that you're bringing in. Yeah, I think it's letting landing spot nest. You know, it takes a village to raise a quarterback is more important now than ever. I'm with you, though. I didn't mean to lump the Jets in because I've said that many times, too, that just because you put green and white on doesn't mean you're going to stink. I mean, there's no, there's new human beings in charge there. So I think they're an incomplete grade. And frankly, I would put the Jets because of their leadership now ahead of Chicago. You know, we saw Chicago get nothing out of Trubisky or Glennon or mm-hmm. Bulls or, you know, I mean, they're pretty low on the list right. as well. That I would rank them Patriots, Niners, Gap, Jets, Gap, Bears, Jags. I think that's fair. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. It's tough because Mac Jones won't stink. With the Bears, it's been all quarterbacks, though. It's like the rest of the organization's right. been fine. It's just the quarterback thing they've screwed up with current GM and coach included. So that I could right. I could buy the argument you put them behind even with the Jets and the Jaguars where you don't really know exactly how they're going <laughs> right. to coach the quarterbacks. The Jags might deserve a little more benefit of the doubt based on new people where we, the Bears are over. Good stuff. And I saw positive things from all five of those quarterbacks in the first preseason game. So, you know, I, I'm liking what I'm seeing from these guys. It's hard for oh, me yeah. to really say, gosh, I think this guy's going to be a bust. I don't I don't feel confident saying any of those guys is going to be a bust, which is a rare thing for five first-round quarterbacks. And I like that Mac Jones landed in the perfect spot, didn't go in the top three as rumored, because that, would, that was the big one there. And so I, I really love the Mac Jones situation now, too, even though so many people – we're so anti-Mac Jones, especially around uh, the San Francisco area when he was rumored to be going number three overall. That didn't make any sense. I love Mac Jones at 15 to the Patriots, though. Yeah, I, I hope people aren't interpreting that, oh, Williamson thinks Lawrence and Fields are going to be bust. I mean, I love the players. I will say, though, if Mac Jones would have somehow landed in Jacksonville or Chicago, I'd be like, oh, you're in trouble. You know, like, but, yeah. <laughs> some, uh, you know, it's, it's a fine balance. It's not a rule. Because Joe Burrow is a perfect example to me. Like, I adored him coming out, and I still think he's going to be a star. 
But I'm not so sure his organization is going to help him over the next 10, 12 years as much as most organizations will. Let's move this along. We've got some questions about breakout players, uh, all kinds of things coming up. Of course, a lot of quarterback questions as well. And modern offenses, where are they going? Coming up. I always love it when I get a new flavor from Built Bar, and there's a fantastic one that I've tried, and the stamp of approval, Grasshopper Cookie. What does it taste like? It's the Built Bar version of the classic Thin Mint Cookie. You know what I'm talking about. Those classic flavors, and the best part is, is without all that sugar. Only 150 calories, but with 17 grams of protein and only 5 grams of sugar get a full box maybe a mix and match box with some of the other fantastic flavors peanut butter always my favorite coconut cherry barcia double chocolate strawberry cookies and cream low calorie low sugar high in protein a snack you can feel good about and that tastes fantastic all covered in delicious 100 real chocolate so order today at built Dot com. Yes, it's a shortened URL now. You just got to go to built.com. That's it. Built.com. Built Bar is also official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. By the way, use promo code LOCKED15 and you will get 15% off your order. Again, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Question here from May on Twitter who says, curious your thoughts on this piece about how modern offenses are going much more to the slot versus out wide. And the the piece that was referenced is from Football Outsiders. And I read a little bit of this piece after it was linked here by May, but I've seen a lot of stuff written about this. And it's pretty clear watching football that the slot is the prime place that NFL offenses are targeting right now, which is why guys like uh, Darius Leonard and Fred Warner and Jamal Adams are getting paid huge money yeah. because positionless football, you have to be able to cover tight ends and running backs and little fast slot wide receivers and big beastly wide receivers. And sometimes the number one wide receiver more and more getting moved into the slot on specific downs to get your best player in the slot. That's where matchups are happening. You have a two way go out of the slot. So, I mean, it's clear that modern offenses are going that way. And if you read some pieces like the one from football outsiders here, it really lays it out. Well, yeah, I'm going to dig into that for sure. Um, my take on it though, is it used to be the Welkers, the stereotypical slot guys were that, were that position. Okay. And then little corners guarded them and people didn't put a lot of money or stock or high draft picks into either. I still think the league is not putting a lot of money into slot corners and part of the reason is I think they just have short shelf lives. So I kind of think they're like a running back because they just get so beat up that I don't know that people are going to invest high picks and big money on slot corners. But that is often of the starting 11 or the 11 defensive players on the field. I would still say most teams, more than 16 of them, that's amongst the that, that's either the weakest position on the field or one of the weakest positions on the field. With all respect to slot corners, plus they have a very difficult job. They have two way goes, as you said. They don't have the sidelines working to their advantage. The quarterback doesn't have to make as long a throw across the field. You know things like that. So where I'm going with this is, and kind of like you said, what has drastically changed to me just in the last five years or so is now Tyree Kill lines up in the slot. I mean, of course, Michael Thomas and Al, Keenan Allen and some great players that are more suited to the slot stay there. But even like A.J. Green 
before he fell off a cliff, never would have lined up in the slot years ago. I mean, he's a tall, outside-the-numbers guy. He was lining up in the slot. And we, we bring this back to fantasy sometimes, and I don't have this number handy, but some smart fantasy guys did some some research on this and basically came up with some equation for fantasy production that every target your receiver gets out of the slot is really like double as valuable as ones they get in traditional receiver spots. And that makes perfect sense. You know, I mean, it's they're easier short throws. You know, they're quick hitting. There's very hard to answer that. So I think the slot position has changed very rapidly. I think defense is a little slow keeping up in terms of putting their resources there. But it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, that that area of the field takes a beating. That's I th- I'm looking it up right now. It might have been fantasypros.com. Is that where you saw that one? I'm Could be. At, I've heard um, a couple of people reference it over there. Yeah, so 5.5%. So slot targets are worth 5.5% more than perimeter targets. Okay. So ideally, this is the the big takeaway at the end of this article, fantasypros.com, by the way. So ideally, our wide receivers are moving into the slot more often in 2021. However, when you have a receiver who stretches the field with his speed, don't be as concerned with it as they might suffer when they are moved into the slot. And and that was sort of one of my points when, when you were talking there that I was thinking of is the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now are the ones that... Yes, their offenses are making use of players in the slot, but they can also make you defend outside the numbers and down the field and can yeah. make big plays there steal. So you, you're sort of stealing and taking the easy money inside, but then you're able to gouge you on the outside, which keeps the open, keeps the middle of the field open for the easier throws. Whereas if you are sort of, uh, you know, a middle of the road quarterback arm strength wise or, or a quarterback that's more of a dink and dunk style check down quarterback and you can't press outside the numbers. You can still utilize the slot a lot and you will be throwing over the middle of the field a lot. But defenses know that and don't have to defend as much grass. So it makes your offense a little bit more condensed. So big plays are still king and ideally you have an offense and you have a wide receiver who can win in both. Yeah, well said. I mean, I, I think it's instrumental for an offense to be able to attack as many blades of grass as possible. And arm strength, scheme, the style of receivers you have, protection, it's a team sport, all dictate, dictate those things. But the more you can attack, the more it opens up slot opportunities. You know, just getting people out of the way. You know, I mentioned those slot guys, they get hit by three defenders and, you know, smashed to the ground. They don't get bumped out of bounds lightly by a, you know, 5-10 corner. But if you can get those bodies a little further away by attacking the whole field, as like Kansas City does so well, it's it's somewhat of a cheat code. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy money. It is. And then you get a quarterback who can do both those things and can run a little bit. Your head's spinning as a defensive coordinator. There's not many answers, right? Right. Uh, let's go to Mark here. He says, hey, Matt, watch preseason week one game, and the Bears had 79 total yards in the first half. Fields had four drives. How do you measure poor stats versus the ones and twos versus being awesome versus the threes in the third quarter, and are we getting ahead of ourselves here? It, it's it's hard to do. I mean, there's no doubt about it because the other problem, kind of what you're referencing here too is the preseason such a small sample size? You know, hey, four drives. Okay, you know, would drives five through nine been a lot better than the first four? 
probably because over the course of the game, teams figure out what you're trying to do and you get better as the game goes on and you know more comfortable. But it, it is hard. I mean, if you're totally just beating the dirt out of the other team or you're getting your head beat in, it's pretty hard to judge how much is on a specific player. But Greg Cosell really spells this out really well, and he does it a lot. He does it all the time, but it just he always uses the phrase when I watch tape, I isolate the quarterback. You know, I only watch the quarterback at times, especially for college film, things like that, because those variables are much different college to college, conference to conference. You can still see was that an NFL caliber throw? Was it the right decision? Did he do the proper things within the pocket? And maybe he got sacked right off the bat because nobody could block a soul, but you don't hold that against him, you know? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, judging what is Sam Darnold right now. That's not easy to do either. It's extremely difficult. The one thing is, I will say is, is statistics. Uh, wait, uh, was it Mark Twain who said there's lies, damn lies, and statistics or something like that? <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. And, and I saw a lot of that getting tweeted out around uh, the first preseason week with these quarterbacks. And it was like uh, someone tweeted out the stats. Well, it was like Ryan Leaf and the Chargers beat Peyton Manning and the Colts 33-3 to in their first preseason games, uh, you know, in their rookie seasons. There was Aaron Rodgers had this really ugly line statistically in his first preseason game, whereas somebody like, um, oh, shoot, I don't remember what it was, but just a really bad quarterback that, okay. that had, uh, a, you know, an amazing line. Or I think it was Trubisky, actually, who had this great line, and I think that's why the Bears tie-in was. And it was like, these were Trubisky's stats in his first preseason game, and it looked very similar to what Justin Fields' stats were in his first preseason game. And my response to that is, don't look at the stats because they don't matter. Trust your eyes. Watch the player. And when you watch Justin Fields play, and I think the perfect point of that is in the first half, he made some dime throws that were incomplete. His receivers had no separation whatsoever. Um, Igbenogany, rookie first-round cornerback, was playing for the Dolphins' defense where he's throwing to the Bears' second-team wide receivers. You know, It wasn't Allen Robinson going against Igbenogany. It was... Uh, maybe Riley Ridley. I don't think it was even Riley Ridley. It was, you know, somebody else who, you know, might not even make a roster for another team that he was thrown to. No separation, but he was throwing these dime passes. And so I was looking at that as like, wow, that's an incompletion. That's not going to look good on his stat sheet. That was an amazing throw. And yeah, uh, Reed, yeah. nobody was open. He threw the ball in only one place where the wide receiver can get it, and he just was not open. And he made a couple throws like that. And he did make some mistakes, too, and he's trying to spin when he's running the ball out of the pocket. But uh, the answer to that is trust your eyes. When I watched Justin Fields' first game, I was wowed by it. And I think the stats didn't even show how good he looked there. And so I think the, st the stats can lie to you, and I think he looked fine even in the first half when the numbers weren't great. I'm surprised you didn't use the Trey Lance example. Uh, I mean, because his stat line wasn't pretty – but he made some throws, he made some plays, and I'm sure as a Niners guy, you don't look at his first showing and think, oh no, I'm worried about Trey Lance. Probably quite the opposite. <laughs> right, and I was definitely not worried about Trey Lance, and uh, you see him with the power arm, and again, it's the eye test. How does he look out there? What can he do? But then there were some other plays where, you know, they disguised some things on defense, and he threw the ball to defender, and the defender mm -hmm. dropped an interception, so it could have looked worse for Trey Lance statistically he could have had a couple of picks he threw some interceptable passes so uh, the thing was like a lot of people want to anoint Trey Lance already put him in there as a starter 
And that's where I say, okay, hold on. You don't have to do it today. You can wait a couple weeks. It can still be week one. You can wait a month and, and do it week three, week four. You can do it week eight. You don't have to put the young man as the starter today because we shouldn't be surprised that he showed up to training camp taller and faster with a bigger arm than Jimmy Garoppolo. We already knew that. Let's see the other things. Let's see the nuance when a defense throws out a look and and it looks like it's man and it's well hidden in coverage and all of a sudden it turns out to be zone and you almost throw a pick. Those are the things he has to go through and learn. So there's just so much nuance here in the quarterback conversation, but it all comes down to trusting your eyes because the statistics for sure will lie. Yeah. Oh, without question. And we're kind of making a quarterback centric here, but I really think a rule of thumb when watching preseason tape is realize scheme is not helping or hurting these guys very much. Coaches want to see these guys perform in one-on-one matchups, whether that's receiver, corner, tackle, edge, you know, whatever it is, running back in protection. And so they put them in positions where they have to step up in one-on-one situations against a unfamiliar opponent and see how they handle it. But you should you should take note of who they're playing against. Is that third-string guys are going to get cut this week, or are we talking about, you know, the starters? Right. And you also have if you're playing against threes, you probably have threes on your team, too. So there's that. And ideally, you would see ones versus ones and good on good. But we don't get to see a lot of that, although we will start to see more of guys like Trey Lance and Justin Fields with the ones in these preseason games, I think, especially in week number two, which is going to make it so much fun. One of my pet peeves. You hear this in camp all the time. You know, this this first round pick or some highly touted guy. Boy, he's getting beat left and right in camp. Well, quick Steeler example, like when they drafted Artie Burns, every rep almost that Burns took was against Antonio Brown. You know, like he's going to lose that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to know what they're, how they're you know, setting these guys up to you know, once they get there. I mean, sometimes they throw them and make it the hardest matchup they possibly can on purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's context. It's always about context, which is what yes. Matt Williamson and Brian Peacock try to provide here on the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. There's a question about breakout players and players that could fall off a cliff. Maybe you can save those type of things for the fantasy live show happening tonight. Yeah. Don't forget to tune Maybe in. Lock on, on NFL tomorrow, channel. Too. Oh, yeah, it's going to be such so much fun. I will be tuning in and go uh, ask Matt Williamson and other fantasy experts some questions. 9 Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific tonight. And Matt and I will be back tomorrow right here. Peacock and Williamson.